Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the intimacy doctor, Alexandra Stockwell. Hello, Alexandra, and welcome to the show. Thank you. I really feel honored to be here, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Me too, particularly because our topic for today is on uncompromising intimacy. And for our listeners who don't know, Alexandra Stockwell is both a medical doctor and a love and intimacy mentor, thus known as the intimacy doctor. For over 20 years, Alexandra has shown men and women how to bring pleasure and purpose into all aspects of their lives. She believes the key to passion and fulfillment, intimacy and success isn't compromise, it's being unwilling to compromise. Because when both people feel free to be themselves and know how to love and be loved for exactly who they are, the relationship is juicy, nourishing and deeply satisfying. Alexandra is the best-selling author of the book, Uncompromising Intimacy, Turn Your Unfulfilling Marriage into a Deeply Satisfying, Passionate Partnership. She is also host of the highly acclaimed The Marriage Podcast. How are you today, Alexandra? I'm really well, and I was sick recently, not with COVID, so I'm happy to be energetic and ready to dive in with you. Wonderful. I'm glad you're feeling better. And I mean, it's funny you talk about being sick because you are a doctor, and I'm sure this is a question you answer all the time, but I'm curious, I'm sure our listeners are curious, you worked originally in family medicine and have now since shifted to intimacy and relationships, so what brought you on this new path? It's a good question, and I have a lot of different answers, and I'm going to just give a few. They're all true, but what I mean to say is that it's like there were all these different strands which pulled me in the direction that I now am in working in the realm of relationship and intimacy coaching. So the first thing is that I was an ambitious woman. I was an ambitious girl, an ambitious woman, and I had my goals, and when I got to my mid-30s, I really had achieved all of the goals that I could have achieved by that age. I had gone to medical school, done my training. I had a small holistic medical practice north of Boston. I'd paid off my medical school loans, which was a big feat. I was married to someone I loved so much, and we had three of our four children and lived in a nice house. And I thought, okay, now I'm going to enjoy what I've achieved and have a gratifying three, four decades continuing in this way. Mm -hmm. But I didn't feel satisfied like I thought I would. And I wasn't burnt out. I wasn't depressed. But I just, I just thought, this is going to get old. And Hmm. I want to feel passionate and engaged in my life in a way that I just, it just wasn't all there for me. So that's one thing. Hmm. So do you call this your quarter life crisis or your spiritual awakening? What do you? You know what? It's really funny that you say that because the fact is that I had shame about feeling Hmm. this way. I now know many physicians who've stopped clinical medicine and are coaches of one kind or another. And physician burnout is an extremely well-documented common phenomenon. But this was, this was a while ago. This was 2005, 2006. I didn't know any physicians who stopped practicing medicine other than an injury which prevented them or an addiction resulting in the loss of their license. I didn't know anyone who chose more, more fulfillment and more meaning. And 
So I had shame about this situation Mm. and I really didn't tell anyone except I just had enough courage to tell myself and my husband because what I did was I went on a sabbatical, but in my heart Mm -hmm. I knew I probably was not going to return. So that was the first thread. You meant all your life goals weren't satisfied and had shame around it. And I really appreciate your vulnerability in sharing that. So thank you. And so what were the other strands? Well, the other strand, which is most relevant for our conversation, is that my oldest child, my daughter, my other children are sons, she turned nine and she was a radiant, feminine, expressive, disciplined, joyful child. And Mm -hmm. when she turned nine, on the one hand, I was just so happy. She was thrilled with the excitement of her birthday and really open-hearted. And then there was this other part of me that was freaking out because I was nine when my parents were divorced, and in seeing how radiant she was, that there was something of me that I had disconnected with. And I, even though I laughed, I was happy, I I wasn't a downer for me or for others, just witnessing her, her radiance her pleasure in being feminine. I saw that I had disconnected from a part of myself and I had never fully reconnected with that. And knowing what I knew about child development, I knew that if she lived in my home another nine years until she was 18 and left, she wouldn't be able to sustain her joy, her passionate femininity in the face of my being disconnected from that part of myself. So honestly, Mm. I was inspired to go on a journey so that I could be at least a step or two ahead of her and be the kind of woman that wouldn't get in the way of her natural growth and evolution. And I knew that I couldn't be working as many hours and carrying as many responsibilities in the way that I had been if I wanted to make this shift in myself. So this also contributed to my going on sabbatical, which became permanent. And I gave myself permission for really the first time that I could remember to just do things because I felt like it not because they were a means to an end. It wasn't to cultivate some part of myself. It wasn't to nurture my relationship. It wasn't to be a better mother. It was just because I felt like it. And that opened up whole new aspects of my soul and a new trajectory in my life. And these were contributions to eventually I took a sex and sensuality training that was very in-depth for my own sake. I wanted more passion and more juiciness in my marriage. And Mm -hmm. this training doubled as a coach training. And at the time, I didn't even know what a coach was. But I like learning. And so after the first intensive immersion weekend, I thought, well, I'll go to the teaching lab just so I know what other people in my program are doing. Mm-hmm. But once I was there, I knew I had come home to a deeply meaningful, personally fulfilling, and professionally essential path. That's incredible. I mean, I always kind of joke, but there's always truth to it that children are, are our greatest teachers. And sometimes they're hyper aware and they literally point out things that we don't see, but sometimes they just represent a beauty and a freedom and an embodiment that we realize we no longer have in ourselves. Yes, exactly. And I I certainly think my children are my greatest teachers, but I like to be very careful about 
how I say that, as you are as well, because we don't want to burden our children or assign them that responsibility. It's more that I wanted to be an amazing student. Hmm. So this is the first time I'm hearing of this story, and now I'm making this connection because I have to ask, you do have another podcast. One is with one of your daughters, What Should I Do? So now my question is a few parts. One, is this the same daughter that we're talking about? And really, I'm curious what that transition looked like and how you got so comfortable talking about relationships with your daughter. Yeah, so that is the same daughter. We have What Should I Do? We haven't done a new episode in a while, but we have... 33 episodes and they're really juicy and your question about how I got so comfortable talking about relationships with her is really relevant because the whole way that podcast began is that I was with someone and I said oh just a moment because my daughter called me because her friend had a question and anyway the person I was with heard what they were calling me about and was just astonished that two women in their early 20s were calling someone's mother for input on what they were asking. And I just laughed. I said, oh, yeah, you know, that's that's normal. And actually, the the companion story to that is that my daughter has so many times had the experience where she's talking to a friend and she said, well, my mother said, and what the person says is, (laughs) you told your mother that? I mean, that that has happened more times than we can count. But anyway, the person that I was with hearing me talk with my daughter and my daughter's friend, she said, you need a podcast. So what my daughter often does is call and say, what should I do? That's the name of the podcast. Mm. And, you know, how do we get so comfortable talking? It's it's a very important question. I, I really love that you ask it. So with my own mother, whom I dearly loved, she and I never discussed sex until I'd already had two children. And honestly, her mother was very expressive and let it all hang out. And I think that that was really uncomfortable for my mother. And so she wanted to spare me that and didn't discuss anything. And so I knew that I wanted to find the middle ground and not be so expressive that there's no room for my daughter, but also not be so contained that there's no room for my daughter. And one of the things that I think is the most important, both when parenting, but also in romantic relationship, is for any important topic not to have, quote, the conversation or the talk. That's what came up for me listening to you. I was like, you didn't have the talk? Well, that's the whole thing. The talk is better than no talk, but the talk Mm. is not that good. What is good is open channels of communication and not to Mm. feel like you need to cover everything in one conversation, but instead to let conversations about relationships evolve with the participants in the conversation. So in the case of my daughter, I let her lead, but she knew every step of the way that I was open to whatever she wanted to share. So when she asked me a question, one of the things that I really needed to focus on, especially when she was 10, 11, 12, 13, is to answer her question and only answer her question. Hmm. For those of us who get comfortable enough to answer our children's questions, we really need to just answer what they're asking and not give them the whole book on the subject when they're just asking for a paragraph. So I feel like the answer to your question, how do we discuss relationships so much, is my being honest and also restrained not energetically but in really letting her experience guide the terrain of our conversations Hmm. 
I love so much about that. I love shifting from thinking that the talk is one thing that you do at some point when the, you know, the child's body is undergoing changes to always having those open lines of communication, always discussing many of these issues freely. And also how common it is for parents to like turn almost any question into like a lecture. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, I'm yes, so glad yes. you asked. <laughs> And so for you to really openly, honestly, frankly, and also shortly answer the question that was asked. Yeah. And, you know, it's not about getting it right every time, but it's about being clear that the focus always is on the connection more than the content. That's mm. what makes it possible to share a lot of content. Mm. And I think that is true in conflict and in joyful times. So you have that What Should I Do podcast and you also have another podcast on today's topic on uncompromising intimacy. And I wanted to ask you about a recent topic you talked about on your podcast about what to do when your partner isn't so much into personal growth. Yes. <laughs> because I've heard the same from listeners on my own podcast you know, they listen to the podcast or they even read a book or some article and they hear some really great advice, maybe great exercise, and they want to implement what they learned. But their partner has resistance. They're kind of unwilling or unable. A lot of times it's because they don't have the context, right? For like, why, why would I do this thing that you want me to do? And I even know some people who break up with their partner after, say, a few years where they themselves feel like they've done a tremendous growth while their partner has remained stagnant. So what are we to do when we want to grow or perhaps we are growing, but we feel our partner is unable or unwilling? Well, there is, of course, this question when it's early in a relationship and when you've been with someone for a long time, meaning 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And I think the answer is a little bit different depending on the circumstance. But generally speaking, what I believe is that if you are annoyed by your partner's unwillingness to grow, that points to the growth awaiting you. <laughs> because yes. we get so superior and so haughty and judgmental about our simplistic partners but the fact is that when you really do your growth when you really evolve and become the man or woman or whatever it is that you want to be you're not going to be judging other people so harshly or even really at all so if I give an example, this, this is one of my favorite examples that happened to someone else where her partner used to slurp blueberries <laughs> and it would annoy her so much. And this is an expressed, vibrant woman who would say, you can't eat those when I'm around. And so he would need to leave or she would need to leave. Hmm. And of course, her desire from her judgmental evolved perspective is that if he was an appealing man, he should know how to eat blueberries the way she eats blueberries, <laughs> nice and quietly. <laughs> However, the real growth came when she could be in the room while he slurped the blueberries and it wasn't activating for her. It didn't trigger her. It didn't do anything. She could just enjoy the power she'd accrued and the growth she'd accomplished such that it no longer bugged her. And I think that this is a parallel for when we feel that our partners are beneath us and not interested in personal growth. The very first question I have if I'm talking to the person who feels that way is, okay, well, what growth do you need to focus on so that someone else's behavior does not get under your skin in this way? 
because being so affected by somebody else's lack of growth, that is not a very enlightened perspective. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, specifically in the context of relationship, is that we don't all grow and have it look the same. I've experienced so many times where a woman will reach out to me and say, I really want to work with you. I want you to do couples coaching with us. But my husband just doesn't care. He's not into personal growth. He's not interested. And I say, well, see if he's open to speaking with me for 15 minutes. He doesn't need to agree to anything else but a 15-minute phone call. And sometimes those husbands just are a no to that conversation. But 100% of the time when they have that conversation with me, they're then interested in talking about working together because when they have a conversation with me, they feel that I'm not judgmental. I don't need to, them to be somebody other than who they are. Their growth does not need to look like her growth. If she does her personal growth by going to lots of seminars and listening to podcasts and doing workbooks, and he does his personal growth by hiking in the mountains or gardening or sitting and fishing. I'm thinking of outdoor things, but it could be indoor things too, meditating, like whatever it is, or maybe it's just how he interacts with people. It doesn't even have to be something so easily documented. That is a very beautiful way to grow. If you don't have a partner who's cutting you down and telling you it's worthless every step of the way. I love that. It was really wonderful advice and I love your perspective. And I'll just repeat what you said. I love it. It says, if you are annoyed by your partner's unwillingness to grow, that's your next opportunity to grow. <laughs> <laughs> And it's something I see a lot in spiritual communities, too, is people often aren't aware of what is sometimes called the spiritual ego, which is that development that comes when one steps on the path, they start to meditate, they start to practice, do yoga and other things, and suddenly they're so evolved just and surrounded by unevolved, unconscious people, and it's such a trap, and it's so easy to fall into it. Yes, or like, I'm so woke, and... Mm -hmm. The other people aren't, but my view of what being awake and evolved and more whole and more integrated and more open to possibilities means accepting more of the truth of who you are and not being triggered by how somebody else shows up. Hmm. So I suppose there's a lot of benefit to identifying what being devoted to growth really means. Absolutely. Being more integrated means accepting the truth of who you are and not being triggered around how someone else is. So closer to today's topic, I wanted to ask you more about this idea. And I, I love it. And I didn't hear about it till I was reading your book of what you call toleration relationships. And you write this, toleration relationships are relationships where the folks in them have learned to live with things that don't feel great and don't really work for them, but they are overriding their unmet needs and desires in order to save the relationship. And I think a lot of times in relationships, we don't want to rock the boat, so to speak. We don't want to bring up the things that are coming up because we think it might mean the end. So... What's the way out of toleration relationships? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Zach, because I think we have an epidemic of toleration relationships. I think the vast majority of relationships are that way. And I also absolutely believe that having a fantastic relationship is a learnable skill. So your question is right on target. So the way out of a toleration relationship, there are a few different steps. The first one, which really cannot be skipped and is easy to say, but is not so easy to do when you're in 
a toleration relationship for a while. And that is to identify what it is that you want. Because one of the things that happens when we're in a toleration relationship is that, well, we're tolerating things. And one of the ways to do that is to disconnect from what we want. So we push it under the rug, we walk away from it, we try to forget about it. And sure enough, we don't even know what we want anymore. And it's actually a very humbling, tender, courage requiring process for someone who's been in a toleration relationship a long time to really give themselves permission to identify what it is that they want. So I won't say more about that, but I really want to emphasize that that is not so easy. It's easier to say than to do. So once you know what you want, then the next thing is to speak it and share it with your partner. And how you do this is very, very important. The habitual ways for most people is, once you know, is just not to say it or to say it in a way that is blaming, attacking, and somehow pointing out your partner's inadequacy. That's not what I'm recommending. I'm recommending sharing what you want in a way that is vulnerable and reveals who you are. You're not pointing out how he's failed you or how the relationship has failed you. You're pointing out who you have become and what it feels like to be you and giving the gift of sharing that. And if that becomes the way that you are in your relationship, that is no longer a toleration relationship. And let me emphasize, I'm not saying that he's changing or anything between the two of you is changing. That will come, but that's not what makes it a toleration relationship. What makes it a toleration relationship is that you're tolerating it and giving up, basically. I love your emphasis on how often we are told to ask for what we want and how it's much easier said than done. Because as you mentioned, most people have no idea what they want, not because something is wrong with them, but because they disconnected themselves in their toleration relationship and then soon forgot, <laughs> like no longer in touch with this essence of their being. Yes, and since you brought in parenting earlier just yesterday my friend was telling me how she took her four-year-old daughter or maybe seven actually that, that's important but she's a little bit older so seven-year-old daughter to get her hair cut and the stylist turned to mom and said what kind of cut are we doing mm -hmm. and mom turns to her daughter and says sweetheart how would you like your hair cut and so then there's back and forth, and then the girl says she wants it cut short. So then the stylist turns to the mother and says, straight or curly? Like, there are all these questions, <laughs> and it's to the mother. And mm -hmm. this is a beautiful mother who does not consider her identity to be wrapped up in her child's haircut. And... She's fine with her daughter getting whatever she wants, but it takes reminding the stylist with every single question. And we all end up losing, particularly women, but honestly, boys too, just in other areas. We, we're not asked, we get habituated to not speaking up. And it's just a normal consequence to either become rebellious or to fit in and lose touch with what we want. So yes, um, this is something that as adults, we can really develop and we can go very far in helping our children with this. And I guess I just want to emphasize, because there's a general trend of, you know, when it's dinner time, asking the child, what do you want for dinner? And then they need to decide like all kinds of things. And there are certain things that 
it is helpful for adults to decide or to narrow it down to two choices or something like that. But when it comes to your hair and what book you want to read, like things that aren't for the whole family, they're just for you and your experience, the more our children can decide, the more we honor our children as knowing, the more we do for them not to end up in this kind of a toleration relationship dilemma. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear your story of the haircut because here we have one party who asks two people what this person wants and the other person speaks for them. And I was thinking how often that happens in couples too. And I'm sure you have found this in yes. some of your clients is you yes. say, so what do you want in your partnership? And one partner speaks up and they're like, oh, I want this and they want this. <laughs> yeah, you know, you point to something so important. And I think the challenge with couples, well, that arises certainly when I'm coaching couples is when one person's speaking, especially when he or she is speaking for both of them, but even if he or she is just speaking for themselves, the other person often doesn't really know how to participate in that conversation. And so I give very clear instructions. As soon as the one person is speaking or going to speak, I turn to the other and say, just listen. And if you have anything come up where you have an idea or you disagree or you think that's not accurate, just write it down and then bring your attention back to just listening. In being quiet, it doesn't mean you agree. It just means you're making space for us to hear your partner's truth. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how helpful that is. Because people really don't know. And those simple instructions, then that's something that it's easy to do on their own. Because very often when our partner's speaking, being quiet can imply that we agree. So then we disagree. But then we're shutting the other person down. And that is not helpful. What really is helpful is to have space for one person to say whatever it is that they're going to say about themselves and or about the relationship and then that person listens and the other person can speak and say whatever they're going to say about themselves in the relationship and i'm guessing for you and me that seems very straightforward but in practice <laughs> that's not common although for people in a basically healthy relationship it's a pretty easy adjustment to make, but it's not common and it requires the education for them to do it. I wholeheartedly agree. I think listening is one of the most challenging aspects of the human existence. <laughs> like <laughs> being able to quiet our own mind, not wait for the other person to stop speaking, not think of a funny joke to say, or, or yeah, especially in couples counseling, it's very easy to be like, no, that's not how it happened. That's not what happened. No, I didn't say that it's very easy to verbally disagree and to stop the person in their tracks. Yeah. And do you think that especially happens in couples counseling the way you're bringing it up? Um, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking about like the presidential debates, but I generally, <laughs> but we do interrupt people a lot, but I think in general with intimate relationships, there is that collision of two subjective realities. There's two people meeting, you know, really meeting each other. And like even how malleable memory is can come up in relationships because two people can remember the same event very differently. You know, I didn't say that or you said this, I didn't say that. So I do think, yeah, intimate relationships can be, of course, this little battleground, so to speak. And that's where there does sort of have this tendency to be like, okay, I'm a little bit wrong and you're a little bit right and kind of like meeting in the middle, which a little flies in the face of today's topic on uncompromising intimacy. So I'm sure you know this is a pretty controversial idea because it does fly in the face of what most people believe about relationships, that there are things we need to sacrifice in order to create 
connection. We do need to meet in the middle in some way on many subjects in our lives. So what do you tell the critics? <laughs> well, let me just like set up the landscape and then I'll answer your question. So far and away, the most common relationship advice that is given, certainly in the Western world, but probably throughout the world, is that you need to learn to compromise. Compromise is the key to a great relationship. And I definitely think compromise is the key to a bland comfortable toleration relationship, but it is not the key to a passionate, juicy, dynamic, growth-oriented relationship. And in fact, uncompromising intimacy is the key to that. And then when you ask me, what do I say to the critics? What I say is that typically the critics misunderstand what I mean when I say uncompromising. Because if compromise is that you don't get your way and you just hold your desires outside the relationship in order to maintain the peace and you just put up with what's happening, it would be easy to think that uncompromising means that you always get your own way. And that is not the case. Being uncompromising does not mean that you become dominant or a kind of bully, like two very dominant people in a relationship does not make for erotic communion and bliss. No, I mean, it could, but in the way that I mean it right now, that's not what I'm pointing to. When I talk about uncompromising intimacy, I'm talking about knowing what you want, accepting who you are, and sharing that reality with your partner and honoring your partner and yourself and the relationship by bringing the fullness of yourself and inviting the fullness of your partner. And then when you both have all of the awareness and information, then you can make a decision. So for example, if in a heteronormative couple, he loves Italian food and always wants to go out for Italian and she likes Thai food, but she also is okay with Italian food. So they end up going to Italian food all the time and she doesn't even bring it up anymore because she's compromising because she thinks <laughs> that's what makes for a good relationship. It's just that mm -hmm. then slowly they're really not having sex very often and things just get a little more bland. But the uncompromising version would be that she says to him something like, I love you so much. I really enjoy going to Italian because I know you love it so much. And I love Thai food and I really want to have Thai food more often. And there are a lot of different ways that that could go. He could say, oh, I had no idea. Or I'm so glad you told me. Or like, who knows what he's going to say. But the important point is that they could get takeout from both places and have dinner in a park. He could look for one thing on the Thai menu that he enjoys, and they could have Thai every so often. The point is that when people are uncompromising and genuinely curious and not threatened by the other one's desires and experience, that leads to more connection, more creativity, and new solutions that one of them trying to manage the whole thing wouldn't come up with on their own. I love that sentence. I love you and I want to have Thai food more often because you can replace that with anything. I love you and I want sex more often. I love you and I want alone time, quality time, adventure time more often, right? And it's very much in line with what you're saying was that we want to affirm our partner, affirm our love, and from a place of non-judgment and non-criticism, just express what we want. And when you mentioned that could go a few different ways, I was almost imagining like, you know, he, if I was a partner and I heard that, I would probably be like, what? I never knew. Let's go get Thai food right now. Like, <laughs> like it's so nice to hear that uh, your partner express for what you want, because then you can more easily meet it. Yes, exactly. And it's continually amazing 
how women think their partners don't care what they want because they don't ask. But that mm-hmm. is not a fair way to judge. They don't know what to ask about necessarily. Like if if you're happy going to Italian, why would he ever think to ask differently? So it's really important that we take responsibility, all of us, to clarify what we want and what's important. And you picked up on the, I love you and I really want to have Thai food because I think, you know, as I was role playing it, that was a pretty straightforward interaction. But the thing that I would add for anyone listening, if you have something that you want to tell, and I know you know this from my book, Zach, called Uncompromising Intimacy, that when you tell your partner the purpose of the conversation or the communication, then the two of you can line up and both go for it. If you don't tell your partner the purpose of the communication, it's very common that he or she is going to feel attacked or like you think they did something wrong. And then either they retreat or they become defensive or they attack back. And so any kind of communication where you're letting your partner know something that they've assumed was different or had no idea about, it's going to go a lot more successfully if you share why you're telling and it's something that both of you want. Absolutely. I do. I'm a big fan of, you probably heard the term meta communication. Yes. Yeah, you talk about what you're going to talk about before you talk about it. And going back to what you mentioned earlier, and this is what I heard from you, that uncompromising intimacy is knowing what you want, accepting who you are, sharing that reality, and honoring your partner and yourself. I want to just check in if I got that right. <laughs> and then also, there's more you have to add about really what uncompromising intimacy is and how we can bring more of it into our lives. Yeah, that is definitely it. And it's easy on the path to bringing more uncompromising intimacy into your life to have your attention on your partner and look at who are they and what do they want and how can I share this with him or her. Mm. And what I find is the deeper we go, the more curious and more aware we become about our own experience. Mm. And we see what we're holding back and can look at why that is. And very often it has to do with something in the past, either childhood or something earlier with the partner. And so I guess the thing that I would add is that I really believe that relationships are the ultimate vehicle for personal growth. And what I mean by that is when you have uncompromising intimacy as your North Star, and that's where you are headed, it is your guiding light, along the way, you really will discover so much about who you are and when things are easy and when things are challenging. And in the context of a relationship, you have an opportunity to share yourself and invite your partner to do the same. And I guess I'll just add one more thing, which is a different flavor, but it's coming to mind right now that in the past, when my husband of 25 years, when he and I would have a phase where we were less intimate, like going longer between having fun together in the bedroom The very first thing I do when that happens is ask myself, is there something I haven't told him? And often it's something I haven't been ready to tell myself, but sometimes I have and I just haven't told him. And when I tell him, and it might be about him, it might not, then the channel opens up and we are more connected. And so I guess the thing I will say is that 
uncompromising intimacy makes for more fulfillment, more self-expression, more connection, more variation in relationship, but it also makes for more sensual sexual passion because if we are compromising throughout the day and that's how we're interacting with one another, when we get to the bedroom, there is no switch to flip to suddenly be expressed and joyful and more fully present and embodied. And if we want that kind of passion, we need to show up with one another that way during the day as well. And that doesn't mean like turned on and dramatic, but it does mean being true to ourselves and not compromising. Yeah, the phrase vulnerability breeds vulnerability keeps coming up listening to you about how when we are self-reflective on our own internal experience, curious about these things and we share it, it of course naturally educes that from our partner. Yes, and I learned this in such a big way when I gave a talk on how and why to make vulnerable communications. I went mm. into great detail exactly how to set it up and how to prepare and how to have such a conversation. And there was a woman in the audience. It was a, I don't know, maybe 40 people there. And a woman in the audience came up to me afterwards. She was a very successful corporate executive. And she'd been married for like 32 years. And she said to me, not really looking directly at me, looking at me sideways, she said, what if your husband just isn't interested? And so clarifying, of course, that it's not a toxic situation. There's no abuse. I said with confidence, not even knowing who he was, he is interested. You just have to be more vulnerable. So she was a little skeptical, <laughs> but off she went. And I didn't even know her name, but I'm just so grateful because a month later we ran into one another at an event and she saw me and she came over and she had, this is a like super ambitious type A woman, but she had a few tears in her eyes and she said, I did what you said and I told my husband that sometimes I feel small and unimportant. And so in the process, she was demonstrating how she had become so much more vulnerable than ever before. So she says, sometimes I feel small and unimportant. And to her complete surprise, her highly competent, successful engineer husband turned to her and said, me too. Mm. And this was far and away one of the most vulnerable, connected, intimate moments of their 32-year marriage. And the only thing that made that happen was her willingness to be more vulnerable than she ever would have imagined and of course it paid off beautifully wow that's a beautiful story and i also just love the way you told it it's you have a very <laughs> intimate like measured and wonderful way of speaking you know i i just want to say something about that because i think i don't think i've ever said this on a podcast but i'm i'm happy to say it to you that when couples work with me I'm very oriented to providing education because I think that, as I've said, having a fantastic relationship is a learnable skill and we need mm -hmm. education. And if someone is willing to learn it, I'm really glad to teach it. But I hear very often that one of the biggest benefits when I'm working with a heterosexual couple, one of the biggest benefits to the woman is hearing how I speak with her husband. Mm. And there's a modeling that happens. And I hope everyone listening experiments with whatever is appealing in how I speak, because 
there's no reason we shouldn't all be getting these results. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Alexandra, for coming on to the show. And I do have to finish by asking you a question I love to ask all of my guests, which is, what do you wish everyone knew about love? What I wish everyone knew about love is that any time, attention, effort, and delight spent to allow more love in is time well spent because then you will feel more love. And we often wish the people around us were more loving. And however more or less loving they are, if you focus on receiving the love that is there more deeply, it will change your life. Such a beautiful sentiment. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. And for our listeners who want to learn more about you, how can they find you? My website is alexandrastockwell.com, A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-A. S-T-O-C-K-W-E-L-L.com. And if you go there, you can find all the information about my podcast, my book, my social media. And by all means, contact me through my website. I would love to engage. Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Stockwell, for coming on to the show. And thank you, listeners, for listening to the show. We hope you remember all the valuable lessons we talked about today, including if you are annoyed by your partner's unwillingness to grow, guess what? That's your next opportunity for growth. And often in toleration relationships, we disconnect from what we want, and soon we don't know what we want anymore. And uncompromising intimacy does not mean you always get your own way. It's a matter of knowing what you want, accepting who you are, sharing that reality, and honoring your partner and yourself. Relationships are the ultimate vehicle for personal growth. And any time to allow love in is time well spent. If you want to learn more about me, you can head to ZachBeach.com and learn more about the show at TheHeartCenter.com. Thanks again, Alexandra. Thank you so much. I just love your interview style and really appreciate this conversation mm. with you. Thank you. I love your being interviewed style. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what you call it, but thank you. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 